every day we have the opportunity to impact other people with the way we speak to them, with the kindness that we show to them, with having them be seen just as they are. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Jessica Turner is the author of the brand new book, Stretched Too Thin, How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter, and Thrive, as well as the creator of The Mom Creative, a blog all about creating a life well-crafted, which means different things on different days. Jessica's own mother was a great role model, a mentor, and the strongest person Jessica's ever met. Stretched Too Thin is truly dedicated to her, and when you listen to Jessica talk about her strength, it's no surprise. She persevered through a difficult childhood, then set out to do something more for her own family. So she worked full time, but that didn't stop her from dedicating time and love to her children and husband. Although everyone isn't lucky enough to have had such a great role model in their life, Jessica has some sage words of encouragement. You have the opportunity to be that person to someone else. And what a powerful opportunity that is. Every day, we have the opportunity to impact people with the way we speak to them, with kindness that we show them, and with having them be seen just as they are. Because the most important work that any of us does is the work that we do with other people. And even if you weren't shown that as a kid, you still have the opportunity to invest in other people every single day. Are you stretched too thin? Do you feel that? Do you ask yourself that question, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, a working mom, a working dad? I think the advice that we and the stories that we talk about in this episode are applicable to everyone, not just stay-at-home moms, but this episode is directed more toward the, the working moms who can feel stretched. Jessica herself has a nine-to-five job, her entrepreneurial endeavors, and a family. Plus, she has to make time for herself. It's simply too much to focus on all at the same time. And too often, we fall into the fallacy that we have to be everything all the time, but that's just not possible. We have to create boundaries between the different roles in our lives, and in doing this, we give ourselves the room to be fully present in whatever role we are in at any given time. We also have to understand our priorities. We are juggling a lot of balls, each and every one of us, but some of them are rubber and some of them are glass. And if we drop a glass ball, it might crack. And if we continue to drop a glass ball, as Jessica points out, it will eventually shatter. Your health and your family are the biggest glass balls. So when it comes down to it, you have to make those your biggest priorities. And when you view our lives, when we view our lives through that lens, it helps us get clarity on where to invest our time. To help with this, Jessica created a free time tracker that you can download at fringehours.com 
forward slash tracker. She suggests writing down everything you do for a week so that you can get an objective look at where you are investing your time and then adjust from there. Whether you are a man or a woman, a mom or a dad, at home or working, this episode is packed full of wisdom. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Jessica Turner, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. The day before September 18th, the day before your book, Stretch Too Thin Launches, excited to visit with you about it today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And in the midst of all of this awesomeness, you still have to deal with the hashtag IRL in real life. You know? <laughs> Why don't you catch everybody up a little bit on the, the past 24 to 48 hours before this big, huge book, book launch? Well, my oldest is 10 and he's in a competitive soccer league and had a soccer tournament an hour away yesterday. So my husband and I divide and conquer with the kids a lot and we were headed to that tournament and I blew a tire right in the middle of nowhere on a Sunday afternoon. And so we spent three and a half hours on the side of the road between waiting for Allstate to get us a tow truck there and get the tire fixed and all of that good stuff. My husband came out. He was waiting with two kids in one car. I had a kid in the other car. So, you know, yeah, real life, just doing all the things. Yeah, you could totally be crushing it, as Gary Vaynerchuk says. But, you know, when when tires blow and you're in the car, you know, time stops. <laughs> well, and that's just it about anything, right? Like we always say we don't have time to do XYZ, but when you have a major health crisis, when a house floods, when a tire blows, like you make time for those things. So yes. you really do make time when things are important and you have to deal with them. And the only thing you can control in those moments is how you respond to those things. Absolutely. Now, I want to go back. Uh, we jumped ahead a little bit, but... Um, I want to go back because I always start with my guests kind of with their origin story. And I kick things off with a quote to kind of use as a prompt to, to stimulate the conversation. So this is a quote that I found and I'm adapting it. Uh, and I'm not sure who said it. I think it was a guy named Thomas uh, something. And the quote is, A real man or woman smiles in trouble, gathers strength from distress, and grows brave by reflection. And so I'd love to learn who the strongest or most brave person was in your mind and in your heart growing up. I guess that would be my mom. I think that's probably true for a lot of people. She grew up in a home that had a lot of challenges and uh, persevered and got married and rose to the occasion of raising a family and working at the same time and keeping our home very tidy, more tidy than I will mm -hmm. ever have, <laughs> um, and was a really dedicated mom. And so I would say she is who immediately came to mind. And she's who my new book is actually dedicated to. Oh, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. What, 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 as she encountered challenges and, and you witnessed her, and now in hindsight, reflecting back, I love the word reflection because it literally means to bend back time or direct light or heat onto something. So when you reflect back and direct light onto the moments that you witnessed your mom rising to her potential and facing challenges, what are the biggest lessons that she taught you? 
<laughs> she taught me that hard work is really important and that with hard work, you can do just about anything. And I saw her working hard for her family. I saw her working hard to help provide for her mom when my grandfather passed away and my grandmother wasn't left with very much. And um, my mom is extremely generous in her time and in how she serves other people. And I have seen the fruit of that and the value of that time and time again. What's her name? Her name's Debbie. Debbie, we we appreciate you, Debbie. Um, just giving her a little shout out on the show. Uh, show love that. <laughs> who was the most thoughtful? Speaking of reflection, who was the most thoughtful person in your life growing up, and and what did they teach you about reflection when you think back? Gosh, I didn't know I was going to be hit with these really hard questions so early in the morning. I would say <laughs> that one of the most thoughtful people that also comes to mind is another family member, my grandmother, Ruth. She was just incredible. Was that 50s housewife, you know, the pearls and the heels and the whole nine yards up until the day she died in her 90s. And <laughs> she loved to give, whether that was volunteering in her community, it was doing floral arrangements. She actually did like competitive floral arranging at one point. Um, Ikebana, which is like the Japanese art of arranging flowers. And she used that gift in her American Legion post. My grandfather was a veteran of World War II. And um, she just was a neat lady and really kind and thinking about other people. And I think because she was older, she was in, I, I think, her... 60s when um, she became a grandmother. So I kind of only remember her in those elderly years. And I always saw her giving to the community. She was always, you know, volunteering at the church and volunteering for this or that. And I think that it was such a great example to me about mm. the importance of thinking of others. I love it. It's so, it's so powerful when you have strong examples in your life and, and you're blessed to to have had those. And I know that there are a lot of people, you know, it's basically split kind of 50-50 where you have people that have had strong examples in their lives like that. And then the other 50% haven't, whether it's a, a father figure or a mother figure or a strong man or woman in their life. So speaking to those people that haven't had that same experience that you have had, that I have had, how would you encourage them? in this moment where, where they're listening to you and they're like, gosh, that would have been nice to have somebody like that, a strong mom or a strong female figure or male figure or whatever in their life. What would you say to them? I would say that you have the opportunity to, to be that person to somebody else. And mm -hmm. what a powerful opportunity that is, that every day we have the opportunity to impact other people with the way we speak to them, with the kindness that we show to them, with having them be seen just as they are. I was at church yesterday and my pastor was talking about this example of somebody in a business situation and the coworker walked into work and he went straight to his office. And he didn't say hello to anybody. He had a lot of work to do. And his boss came in and he said, Hey, buddy, why didn't you talk to us? You just went right into your office. And he said, You know, I've got a lot of work to do. And I just wanted to get to work. And he said, Your work was out there. And mm -hmm. I thought that was such a great example and reminder that 
our work is always going to be there, but the most important work that we do is the work that we do with the people around us and how we invest in other people. So I think if you haven't had that, you have the opportunity to be that. And if you had had that, you've got the opportunity to do that every single day. Yeah, you know, and that requires a tremendous amount of courage. And, I, and courage is another one of my favorite words. It means heart. And to, to do that, to step up, especially if you haven't had a role model growing up, it requires you to have that heart to do so. You've done a lot of courageous things in your life, uh, and you've you've had you know your own. You mentioned health challenges, and you've done some courageous things in that arena recently. And I'd I'd love for you to share, if you don't mind, what some of the the, the most courageous things that you've done recently as it relates to you know life changing moments and how you and your husband Matthew talked about that and handled that. And it's another in real life moment. So I would say that maybe this is TMI for people, but I've been real honest about it. So over the past close to two years, I've had something like seven or eight surgeries. And through all of those surgical procedures, I have been very honest about that and shared the journey of that. So December, about a year and a half ago, I had a breast reduction and abdominoplasty because I nursed three babies and got my mama's genetics. And so I was having you know constant headaches and shoulder pain and neck pain from my breasts. And I ripped my abdomen completely open. I had a four inch tear in my abdomen all the way down. So I was losing my breath when I would bend. I couldn't really exercise very well. And so I had the abdominoplasty to have my abs sewn back together. And you know, plastic surgery is something that people have a lot of opinions about. And I said, you know, I could just do this quietly or I could talk about it. And I had it done because of physical health needs. I was having a lot of pain and I decided not to live with that. And so I video blogged through that and shared photos of the journey on Facebook and Instagram and have been blown away by the response from women who have gone to their doctors and said, you know what, this is something I deal with and have stepped forward, encouraged to make that same health change in their life. And so that was something that felt courageous and vulnerable to do. And then, you know, moving forward, I had some um, unexpected health scares and um, some stuff going on, and I just shared all of it. And I was amazed by the number of people who said, Thank you. I didn't know that that could happen. I didn't know that that could be a thing. Or I, I know somebody who had that, or my spouse had that, my neighbor had that, and we didn't know anybody. And I'm so glad that you're sharing the story. And so I think being vulnerable in our weakest times is an opportunity to connect with other people and cultivate community. Mm, I love that. That is really powerful. You know, vulnerability is, as Brene Brown talks about, is really a true sign of strength. And how did your husband, Matthew is his name, right? Mm-hmm. That's how, right. How did he show up for you during these these health challenges? Oh gosh, in so many ways. Certainly, just in supporting me physically with you know bringing me meals and taking care of me and making sure I was getting my pain medication and that sort of thing. But also just leaning into parenting. You know, we it isn't like mom leaves and oh dad's babysitting. That is not how we are in our family. I mean, he is a phenomenal parent and father. And he just really leaned into picking up my slack, you know, when I wasn't able to be there and making sure that our kids 
were taken care of and well-loved and seen during that time and explaining to them what was going on because they're young. They're 10, 7, and 3 now. So it was definitely a challenge. And he just leaned right in and supported that. And you know that big surgery that I had was something that we planned for for a year. I mean, I was out of work for six weeks. It required months after that of additional healing. I mean, I really wasn't fully healed until September and it happened in December. So it was a long healing process and he was just there championing me and cheerleading all through it. I love that. You know, it's, it's, again, it's another example of having a strong source in in your life to to support you and carry you. So you're a, a wife to your husband, a mother to your kids, a friend, a family member, an entrepreneur, an author. And this list sounds familiar to a lot of my listeners because we're all multidimensional. And so I want to know how you practice and develop the skill to remain present in each of one of those things. Because I think that we too often succumb to the the fallacy that we have to be everything all the time. And it's just not possible. it, It is not possible. So it's really important to me to create boundaries in all of those things so that I can be present in whatever role that I am in in that moment. So I have a nine to five corporate job in addition to my entrepreneurial gig. And so when I'm at work, I'm focusing on work. When I'm at home, I'm focusing on my family and the tasks that need to be taken care of at home. I am really diligent about making time for myself because I really believe in that overused oxygen mask philosophy, right? That example that you've got to invest in yourself before you can take care of everyone and everything else. And I know that I am the best that I can be when I'm taking care of myself. And so that's something that I fight for. And sometimes that means that chores don't get done or you know something else gets left on the table. But I think that that is so important. So I think by being boundaried in that and understanding what your priorities are in Stretch Too Thin, I use the example of we're all juggling a lot of balls. But the balls we're juggling, some of them are rubber and some of them are glass. And I think it's important that we recognize what balls in our life are glass. That if we drop those balls, they're going to crack or they might break. And eventually, they will shatter if we continue to drop those balls. And so if you can think about your life in that way, you quickly know what your glass balls are, right? Like it's your health and your body and it is your family. The, the people around you. Who's going to be around you in your deathbed? Let me tell you, it is not going to be my colleagues. It isn't as much as I love them. It's not going to be that I had a successful ad campaign on Facebook, right? And so I think that when you look at life through that lens, it also makes a huge difference in how you're investing your time. How do you move forward though when you, when you stumble on those moments where you realize that you're like not being fully present at work or not being fully present at home because you've got you know, this gigantic book launch like happening and the blown tire here and the sick kid over there. And, and so you're, you're, you're all over the place as, and, and sometimes I feel this way, even as, as a, as a guy. And I think, I don't think it's a man or a woman thing. I think we all feel tapped out sometimes. So, so when you, when you encounter that, where you're not feeling fully present, how do you hit the restart button? So for me, it usually comes back to I need to take some time for myself. So last night, we're talking 30 
six hours before my book launches. I could have been writing one more Instagram post, planning what emails were going to go out today and working on that. And instead, I took a long bath. And then I got out of the bath and I just kept reading the book that I was reading because I knew that the best thing that I could do for myself was to rest. Mm. and that everything else would fall into place. And so I think learning what you need... I also talk about in the book, the idea of instead of work-life balance, it's work-life satisfaction. So some things are going to cause you to have to take more time for something, right? It isn't like things are on this perfect balance and everything is equally yoked. Sometimes work is going to be higher. Sometimes family is going to be higher. You know... Life includes work. These aren't mutually exclusive things. And so I think recognizing that all of those things do come together and you need to pivot a little bit so that you can focus on what really needs your attention, that's okay. Um, But just constantly coming back to, okay, what are my priorities? What is the life that I want to be leading? Am I out of whack? And am I out of whack for a bad reason? Or is this a good thing? Like, yes, things are a little out of whack right now with releasing a book and a full-time job. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm working a lot of hours right now. But I know that it's just a season and that it isn't going to be this way. And so we plan for that so that then we can continue to be healthy and happy and thriving even during a really busy season. You know, I've had this and I really... You should follow her on Instagram. Her name is Dr. Kara Miller. She's a developmental psychologist. She was on the show a few weeks back. Phenomenal conversation. One of the things we talked about was the integration of the becoming and the doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And today, in today's, you know, technological age and, and, you know, focus on efficiency, we, we forget about the act of becoming and doing and, and that they are, that it's an both and thing and not an either or situation that you can do both at the same time. And that you really need to pre- develop that skill set and practice and be mindful of it. And, and it sounds like, you are are doing that, but you're also at the same time giving yourself permission to to bounce back uh, and to focus on resetting when when you get off track. And I think that that's really an important an important message, especially for people to see you and and hear you say that when you're in the middle of doing something that's huge, because it, you end up encountering and facing head on the angel and the devil on your shoulder, so to speak, the I want to versus the I have to, right? And we often succumb to the I have to, I have to do this. And then we lose the joy because all of a sudden what we've been desirous of and and wanting to accomplish becomes a, a drag. Absolutely. It's that I like to say it's the need to do versus the nice to do. And you have to be really thoughtful in what is absolutely necessary. What is the need to do here? And what is the, oh, that would be a nice to do. And so Mm -hmm. I look at things through that lens a lot. I encourage a lot of women to track their time for a week. And really anyone can do this. Um, There's a time tracker on fringehours.com, which was my first book. And the idea is that you write down everything that you do over the course of a week. Everything. You write down the pickup line and the groceries and the dinner planning and the work and the meetings and all of the things. And at the end of the week, you can get a really clear sense of where you're spending your time. Because a lot of us say, oh, we don't have any time. And then you actually time track for a week and you realize you spend 12 hours watching television, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is a really effective exercise. And then after you do it, I say, okay, 
look at that and what are the things that you absolutely have to do that are the non-negotiables, that are the need to do's? And what was the nice to do's? What was the things that you did because you wanted to or you had the time? And it really is an eye-opening exercise. I got to tell you a cool story about that actually because I... I read your book while I was on my big family reunion vacation with all of my siblings and my parents and all of my nieces and nephews. And I gave one of one of my sisters is her name is Katie and she's very much into personal development. And so I'm like, hey, read this book and and give me your takeaways. Like what what do you think? Right. And put some of this stuff into practice for a little while and then text me what you're what you think. And she specifically texted me. This, her feedback on this particular part. She said at first, she was like, you know, yeah, time management and blah, blah, blah. And then she put it into practice and she said it was actually really a, a really a big insight for her because what she did, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, it, it could be small things that end up having a big compound effect. And so she would go to the gym and she would be these exercising in these group classes. And she found herself really. You know, falling back on the personal development work that she wanted to do. So, in following through on this time tracking exercise, she realized that she needed to let go of the group classes so that she could do individual classes so she could listen to the books or the podcasts that she wanted to to continue her personal growth. And it, if it weren't for that exercise, she wouldn't have come to that conclusion. So, it, it really is powerful. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And on top of that, I think that what people will realize when they do the exercise, if they do it well, is they'll realize how much time we actually have. Absolutely. There's 168 hours in a seven day week, you mm-hmm. know, and, and basically you're sleeping about 55 of them and, and the rest is up to you, really. And so. Right. Well, some of us, some of us do have forty-hour jobs that oh, we have sure. to be at, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you know that brings up a good point. So, you've got this—you know—you got this nine-to-five job. You've got this successful entrepreneurial gig. How do you? You know, there's a lot of people that have that are in that same boat that are working a nine-to-five job. How did? You, how did your bosses react to this entrepreneurial gig? How did you communicate to them? How did you, uh, you know, share the vision with them? So I was always a blogger. They hired me as a lifestyle blogger with a huge following that I think was part of the appeal of hiring me. So I do social media and content strategy for a large healthcare company. So that's something that they always were aware of. I signed the two book deal after I had started working there. I've been there now seven and a half years. And I think I signed that deal maybe five and a half years ago. But even then, we didn't really know what it would be. My platform certainly has grown a lot since then. When my first book released, I was on maternity leave when it released. Totally coincidental. I turned in the book and then I got pregnant like a month later. So they weren't super, I think, engaged with it because I was on leave. And so it wasn't something that we addressed. Now, this time around, we did do you know a more in-depth conflict of interest disclosure just because it is very public-facing. you know, And so we wanted to have kind of clear lines. I take vacation days when I'm doing book promotion or traveling for media and that sort of thing. So some people go to the Bahamas. I sit in my closet recording a podcast, whatever. You know, <laughs> same thing. You so have a picture I'm just, of the Bahamas on your, in your right, wall. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So 
they've been fine with it because I am using vacation time. I am really good about scheduling content to go out when I'm at my job and keeping those things separate. So it's been something that they've been very supportive of. Are they supportive of your vision and what your your mission is and what you're trying to uh, the impact you're trying to have personally in the world? It's a really big company, so I don't know that they are paying attention to that. But I know <laughs> that certainly my colleagues in my department are really excited about my message and um, have pre-ordered books and been really encouraging and that sort of thing. But in terms of the company, there's more than 20,000 employees and I'm probably oh, wow. on their yeah. radar. <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur holds you to call. You know, going back to stretch too thin and the things that are on your radar, you know, the 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 reality is is that I, I think that we all have this kind of keeping up with the Joneses mentality. And both men and women, husbands and wives, and it would just be a lot easier if both sets of Joneses came to each other and said, Hey, look, I know that you've you're keeping up a front, I'm keeping up a front. Let's just level set here. Let's be real with each other. So what's your advice to the husbands and the the wives and the spouses that are dealing with all of the stuff, the guilt, the the judgment, the from peers, the the self criticism, the limiting beliefs about what they're capable of. What what would you coach them to rethink in that regard? So you had a whole lot in that statement. You know, I think when it comes to comparison, I think we need to recognize that we are generally looking at people's highlight reels. So when you are looking at my Instagram feed, you are looking at a very curated feed of what I chose to share. Even if I do choose to share, you know, all the toys sprawled out on the carpet, I chose to do that, right? So I'm not showing you the areas that I don't want you to see. And yet when people are looking at that, they sometimes reuse that as their benchmark for how they need to live. It's so funny. I've got an author friend who... She and I both have books releasing on September 18th. And she texted me a picture of my Instagram feed and was like, you look gorgeous in this. Meanwhile, I look like this. And she sent me a mm-hmm. text of herself you know, in her tank top. And so then I took a picture of myself looking like I do today with no makeup on. And you know, I'm like, listen, this is real life here. But we so often will use people's highlight reels for how we think we should be living our life. Um, and so I just encourage people to recognize that. And I think when you recognize, okay, my friends are not on vacation all the time, but that's what they're sharing on Facebook is when they do get to have that experience and turn that comparison honestly into celebration. Like, look, what a cool opportunity that they got to travel to this place or that they got to go and do this thing. Like, I'm going to celebrate that experience in their life and recognize that just because they're having that experience doesn't mean that needs to be the same experience that I need to have or want to have. I've spent too much of my adulthood looking at what other people were doing as a benchmark for what I needed to be doing in my own life instead of just saying, 
this is what I want to do. This is what's important to me and not looking to the left and the right, but really looking at kind of my own family and circle and, and desire. So I think that's a really important change and one that takes a lot of time. Um, when it comes to guilt, man, guilt is a huge one for women in particular. I think the whole mommy wars and mom guilt thing is something that a lot of us deal with. And I think there's two things we can do. We can either use that guilt to teach us something to maybe make a change in our life. If you're always feeling guilty about missing a child's baseball games or something because you work like can you talk to your boss about changing your schedule slightly so you can make that game and you don't feel guilty you know using that guilt as a prompt for huh do i want to be doing something different in my life or is that guilt self-imposed like we've been looking at people's instagram feeds and being like oh i'm a really bad mom because i didn't do xyz when that's self-imposed nobody is saying that you're a bad mom mm-hmm. and so in that case i think it's just speaking truth to ourselves and and, and turning that on its head you know, I think that one of the things that when it comes to comparison and it is that that limits people from really setting the goals to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish is the fact that while so and so's goals are better than my goals. And every time I set out for a goal, it backfires because I get distracted by people or my vocation or my kids, and that prevents me from from hitting goals. So how can a goal-oriented person, someone who really does have something, a vision that they want to launch into the world, a mission that they feel they're called to live out, how can they begin to approach goal setting in a way that doesn't overwhelm them and stop them before they start? I think it's important to not set too many goals. I think sometimes we have a very long list of we want to do all of the things and that can make it challenging. I also think it's really important for us to be specific in our goals and not just put the big thing out there, but put all the small things with it and insert small and keep building and keep building on that. Um, because then you're able to be more focused and really get achieve that goal that you're setting out to do. Was there a time in your personal life where you... We're looking at your own personal goal list and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to do this. And so you just erased everything or who who spoke to you that was like, you got too much on your plate. You need to pare this down. Did Matthew provide insight into your goal setting activities? Did a, did a friend of yours, did a mentor? I've done a lot of reading on goal setting. So I can't necessarily speak to one specific person, but I did recognize that I had left of wants. And I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to look like this. I want to whatever. And I recognized that I was putting all these things out there, but I wasn't actually doing the work to try to achieve those things. Mm. I just was citing wants and saying that they were goals. And instead, I pivoted and said, okay, this is my big goal for this year. I want to launch this and sell this much or whatever the thing was. And really then was able to focus on just that one thing. And I think, you know, so often with goals, we expect them to come to fruition really quickly. We look at other people's end games and think that it's where we should be when we're right in the middle of it. And so that's been a growth journey for me as well. My husband actually is a full-time author as well. I don't know if you knew oh, that. I didn't know but he that. Writes 
Yeah, he's actually the legit author, I like to say, because he's published, gosh, probably two dozen books. And I'm only on my second. So he's been writing full-time since 2004. And he pivoted a few years ago into the children's publishing arena. And it's very difficult to get a children's book published. They're expensive. Publishers don't put out a lot of them. And we had this vision for this book. It was called When God Made Light that he wrote when my daughter was born. And she's seven now. So this gives you some idea of the long game here. And... We tried pitching that. Something like a dozen publishers turned it down for a host of reasons. And we decided to take the advance from my first book, The Fringe Hours, and put that into self-publishing that. So we didn't do the Kickstarter thing. We didn't do the print-on-demand. We actually printed 5,000 books. And we said, okay, we're going to sell these. And we did. In just a few months, we sold 5,000 books. It was tremendously successful. Then, of course, a publisher wanted to publish it. And now, seven years later... His, he's had two children's books release. The first one that came out, When God Made You, has sold 100,000 copies in a year and a half. Oh my God. Which is just incredible. It's in Target, it's in airports, it's everywhere. And, you know, that was something that seven years of work, lots and lots of no's, us putting our own resources in it. And then when that first book released with the publisher, I said, What is your big goal? And he said, I would love for this to sell 100,000 copies. And that happened just a couple months ago. We got that that number in an email that, hey, this is, has hit 100,000. And so, you know, I share that as encouragement that sometimes when you get a whole lot of no's, you need to just find a different way to do it. And that's mm-hmm. what we did and got an illustrator and got a designer and found our own printer and did all of the things. And it was totally worth it and something we would do all over again, but was not the path we envisioned taking. Well, congratulations. That's huge. That's awesome. You know, and you taught a very important lesson there that people need to reflect on when they're setting their goals and putting things out into the world. Because the reality is, is if you're not willing to deal with seven years of no's and pivoting and changing, then it's just a wish and not really a want. Absolutely. And it's Seven years of hard work, right? right. Like this yeah. is not something that comes easy. And you know, we'll have people email us, and they're like, "I want to write a children's book." You know, like, "Oh, it's just so easy to write a couple hundred words when he spends hours and hours doing that rhyme and that rhythm and all the nose and all the things, right?" But again, we're looking at people's end games and not looking at the journey. Going back to goals, there's a couple of different. There's two different camps when it comes to the idea of sharing goals with other people. The one camp says you should write down your goals and never share them with anybody. And then another camp is like, you should write down your goals and you should share them with people and you should get feedback. And I think that you line up into the get feedback and insight camp, which I also do. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about the power insight has had in your own goal setting activities. I'd say I'm probably more in that second camp, but it depends on the thing and if I'm feeling vulnerable enough to share that. So for instance, we'll use the launch of Stretch Too Thin as an example. I had a goal of getting the book in Target and being on the back wall. I wanted to be on that video screen that they have in Mm. the electronics department. So that was a big goal. And so that was something that I shared with my publishing team. This is what I want. Last time we got the fringe hours in Target, but we didn't have the video. I wanted that video this time. And so that was something that we worked really hard toward and was something that happened. And we shot a video. Target loved it. They picked it up. It's running in stores. And so that was really exciting. So that was something that I had to share with my team and then you know, kind of shared on the back end with my community, but wasn't something that I felt like I wanted to put out there. The same is true for a sales goal. So 
obviously all authors want to make all the lists and all of the things. And my publisher said something really wise to me. They said, rather than say you want to make a specific list, shoot for a specific sales number. Because the list, particularly the New York Times, there's a lot of bureaucracy and things that go into making that list. It isn't just the numbers. There's other factors um, that help you um, or don't help you (laughs) make Mm -hmm. that list. And so they said, rather than shoot for that, shoot for a sales goal. So we have that sales goal. And so that's something that the people closest to us, again, are are looking at and looking at the numbers and how we're doing and what we need to be pivoting. But I don't know that I'm one of those people that necessarily puts my goals out there for everybody to see, probably because I'm scared for people to see me to fail, which I Mm -hmm. think is something that a lot of people can relate to. But those closest to me, absolutely, we're talking about goals all the time. You've got these goals. You've got these big numbers that you want to hit, the the video and target, all of this stuff. How do you make sure that you are remaining content throughout the whole process? Yeah, that's hard. That that's hard. I would have been very, very sad if I didn't get that target video. Um, so I, I think that it is again turning that comparison into celebration. So not thinking about, oh, but she got the video. My video was just as good. Why didn't I get it? Instead, thinking this is great that it's still going to be in target. This is still going to be reaching a lot of people and celebrating the wins along the way. Like I know that it is unlikely that I'm going to make a list this week. I mean, we've got Reese Witherspoon, Chrissy Teigen. Sally Field, Savannah Guthrie, all releasing books the same week as me, right? Like that is a a big group of people, of influential people. And so what all I can focus on is I've done everything to the best of my ability to communicate this message, to get it out there. And now hopefully people buy the book, they like the book, and they tell their friends. Like really, it is a long game. And that's what I keep reminding myself. As great as these goals are, it's a long game. It's hoping that we continue to sell books week after week after week because... At the end of the day, you just want to get books in hands. It's not about the accolades. Is the uh, how, how did you discover that all of those people are also publishing at the same time? Was that like research that your publisher did, or did you just discover that on your own? I discovered it on my own. You can actually do a search on Amazon for books by release month. And so I searched September. And there's thousands of books releasing in September. So I don't know how many pages I got into. But then I started seeing all of these celebrities. You know, September is a huge book month. It's actually a more expensive book month to launch a book than other months because it's popular going into the holiday season and that sort of thing. So ad buys are more expensive for some things for books and and that sort of thing. So we knew that it was a bit riskier launching the book in September versus earlier in the year. But we felt like it was the new year season for moms, you know, with going back to school and that sort of thing. So it made it a really timely topic. So we pulled the trigger and did that anyway. So if you were giving advice to a first-time author who is, you know, maybe there's a mom out there or a dad. I'm I'm publishing my first book. It's probably in the fall at some point, like December, self-publishing. What what advice would you give to them? To me? I would say not to publish it in December. <laughs> okay. my first, the first bit of advice. I'd probably wait till January because there's so much noise um, mm-hmm. in December that in terms of a big launch, it's going to be hard to do that during that season. So for you specifically, I'd say, oh, if, you, if you're self-publishing, I'd probably do it in January over December. Um, I think that word of mouth and leveraging influencers is the best thing that you can do. Sending out influencer packages, asking for people to share it, I think is really useful. I think podcasts are a tremendous asset to a book launch strategy because of the long game with podcasts. It isn't like a radio interview where if people don't catch it in that 7.20 a.m. slot, they've missed it. There's just 
tremendous value in that and tremendous value in leveraging other people's networks, you know, the people who are listening to those podcasts. So I think that's very valuable. I think growing an email list is something that's really important. And I know people hear this a lot in terms of building an online business, but it really is the only thing that you own. I think if you can create a great trailer for the book, video is so popular online that video will be really helpful to you. Be sure when you put that video on Facebook, you upload it directly. Don't use that YouTube link. Put those captions on there so that people who are watching their feed on silent will see what you have to say. And just know that you're going to need a whole lot of content. So much more content than you think. So many pictures of yourself with the book. Um, and you know, it's interesting and paying attention to my own algorithm. I can't say that this is hard and fast for everybody, but in my own algorithm, things that have my face in them perform better than anything else. And so we did a lot more with me holding the book this time around versus doing the really great flat lays and that sort of thing because we just found that they perform a lot better. So be paying attention to that data and those analytics of all of your shares so that you can be making choices that make sense for you and your audience. You know, it's very clear that you are pursuing excellence in, in everything that you do. And I have a lot of moms that listen to my show, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, including my own wife, who is the mother of my four beautiful children. And when you think about excellence as a mother or excellence in mothering, what does that mean to you? So I think we're all excellent moms. And I think that we're really hard on ourselves when we are all doing the best that we can to love our kids well and intentionally. And so for me, that looks like quality time with my kids. It looks like really paying attention to them when they're speaking to me, recognizing their individual differences and celebrating those. And having them see their mom working hard is part of their story. And so I want to be doing that well and not having my work impact them negatively, but really uh, in a powerful way that's going to take them into adulthood. Jessica, this has been a fun conversation and uh, I'm excited for the, the book launch and for sharing this episode with the world. And, and I appreciate you and everything that you're doing and the example that you're setting for so many women that that it's, they, they are capable of doing so many wonderful, great things in life and above and beyond being a mother. That's, that's, that's a huge accomplishment in and of itself. But that if they have a dream, a vision, a calling, that they should and could and can act on it. And that community is important and, and you're leading the way. So I wanted to affirm you and acknowledge you for that. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Where can people go online to connect with you to get the book? Uh, this episode will launch in you know a couple weeks, two, three weeks after the actual book launch. Uh, but where can they go to help you hit your sales targets? Oh, thanks. So you can find the book wherever books are sold. It's in every major airport across America. It's in Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, independent bookstores, all the places. So pretty much anywhere you can get it. For details about the book, you can find them all at Stretched thinbook.com And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jessica N. Turner and Facebook.com slash The Mom Creative. Didn't you hit like number one on Barnes & Noble's homepage? I did. Yeah. That, during that's the awesome. Pre-sale, we hit number one of all books on Barnes & Noble, which was really exciting. <laughs> now, uh, before we conclude, I always ask three questions of every single guest. Okay. So the first question is, if you could pick any skill set that you currently possess, so a skill you currently have, 
and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? So I'm really crafty, really crafty. And we're getting close to Halloween. And I hand make all of our costumes. My Halloween costumes are epic. Last year, we did Nintendo theme. We've done Wizard of Oz. They're really fun. You should go on Instagram just to see my past (laughs) costumes. So I would say I'd want the superpower right now because it's taking me hours and hours to make all these costumes to be able to think of my vision and instantly be made. That would be pretty amazing. (laughs) That sounds like fun. What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing what we're capable of achieving? We tell ourselves the lie that we aren't good enough. We tell ourselves the lie that we aren't pretty enough to achieve whatever goal we want to achieve. And we tell ourselves the lie that if we don't have endless amounts of money, that we can't still be successful. Mm. And just on that, you know, on that, on that second one that we're not pretty enough, I want to say that that men say the same thing differently. We don't necessarily look in the mirror and say, I'm not pretty enough. But we <laughs> we we have the same we we any any man that looks at you and says he doesn't have body image issues is a liar. Mm. Um, yeah. So when you ever just a, a, an encouragement to all the women out there who who have important men in their life, when you see them, uh Make sure that you affirm them and, and encourage them in, in, that they are pretty enough. <laughs> What's your uh, favorite form of art? Probably photography. I actually got my start in the online space as a scrapbooking blogger. And so memory keeping and documenting through photos is something that is really important to me and something that I really value. So I would say photography. So this last question will incorporate the art of photography then. So there's a great book titled, How Will You Measure Your Life? So it's 100 years from now, and you've left a set of instructions for a photographer to put a collage together, a photo collage, depicting your answer to that question. What instructions would you leave him or her? I would simply say, be sure to include a lot of people because I hope that the legacy that I leave is one that has impacted a lot of people. Jessica, this has been a powerful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the Impact Entrepreneur Show and impacting our audience today. Thank you for having me. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.